Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you, and a lot that we'll get to on the IndyCar side later this episode. Plenty of news to get to, but first, we're going to update on what's happening in the development series. And joining us is the series development director, Rob Howden, for the USF Championships. And Rob, as always, we like to kind of preview what's going on in what used to be called the Road to Indy Ladder before we get to our IndyCar season preview. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. I was, I was good to talk about the future stars of IndyCar. So I know you're not as involved in the day-to-day of Indy Next, but I know you're, you're still following that series. And for this year, the, the off-season is kind of the key thing has been growth. And we already have over 20 entries confirmed for St. Pete and more expected. I, I think I read up to 23. Uh, when's the last time we had a grid even approaching these kind of numbers? Yeah, you'd have to go way back into the history books to find a time when the Indy Next program was as strong as it is right now. And for me, and everything that we do in the staff of the USF Pro Championships, you know, even though it's not under our program anymore, of course, you know, Anderson Promotions ran the Indy Lights program for many years. We're still very proud of what we see because so many of the drivers who are part of that program have come through the different ladders of the USF Pro Championships. And that's why I look, you know, I still follow it so closely. Because drivers like Louis Foster and James Rowe and Jacob Abel, Nolan Siegel, Reese Gold, all these drivers, of course, came up through our ranks. And some of the guys that you mentioned, uh, when we look at this year's championship, factored into last year's championship. Who are some of the front runners that people should keep an eye on in Indy Next? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because, you know, there, there are some new names obviously coming in as well, but I think it's, it's those second year drivers that I would really, of course, coming out of the gate. Uh, kind of put my put the focus on. You know, I think you, you start with Nolan Siegel from HMD Motorsports, you know, a couple of wins last year, one in Detroit, one at Road America, third in the points. He's right there. Louis Foster, I think, will be really one of the drivers to beat for Andretti Global, fourth last year with a couple of race wins. Uh, but, you know, coming into that, that program last year as a former USF Pro 2000 champion too, right? So he's got the pedigree. He's won over in GV3 as well. So I think Foster... And Siegel will be, you know, guys to watch early. I think Reese Gold will settle in as well. He was eighth last year and got a victory in Detroit. A driver, I think, though, guys, that's going to break out, and he'll get his first victory for sure. Uh, I think that will be Jacob Abel from Abel Motorsports. He got so close last year and just wasn't able to finish it off. Fifth in the points in 2023. I think he's a guy that could win coming out of the gate. May, may even grab a victory at St. Petersburg. Wanted to ask you about Nolan Siegel because he, he was in the seat for some for some testing at IndyCar. It just seems like uh, would you would you look at him and maybe an outside shot to replace somebody in the second half of the season, or is he better off spending another entire season in Indy Next? One thing I really like about Nolan is you know he obviously started with USF 2000 uh, a number of years ago. Is they really aren't focused on on pushing him too quickly. They never have been. You know he started in USF 2000 at just 14 years of age. And they know he's going to get there, right? You'll watch him every year. He'll do a number of races in IMSA as well, the top-level prototypes. He runs the Daytona 24 every year now. Um, I don't know that that they'll look to try to kind of force him into a a mid-season ride. I think if you're a guy like Siegel or a guy like Foster, you've watched what some of the drivers have done coming out of Indy Next uh, and kind of waited for that opportunity, right? The Linus Lundquist getting his opportunity, of course, with Chip Ganassi. And and I think, you know... you hold back a bit and hope for another opening somewhere of a driver to potentially retire or move on. I, I just think for Nolan, they don't need to push him. He's you know, got a chance to win a couple races last year, but didn't seal the deal, right? So 
let them come back for another year. I'm a firm believer that you need to let drivers learn how to win, not just races, but I want them to learn how to win championships, fight for championships, not just walk away, but maybe get a lead, lose a lead, but then be able to fight that back to get the point lead. I think think this year is going to be a really good one for Noah. Personally, he can come back for a third year. I'd be fine with it, but a second year for sure. I I don't see him jumping up uh, too, too early. Meanwhile, one of the top newcomers to Indy Next in 2024, everyone's going to have their eye on Miles Rowe, who obviously won the 2023 USF Pro 2000 Championship last season. He's paired up with HMD. Uh, Is it realistic to expect him to contend for the championship in his first season? Well, yeah. Let's let's put it this way. Uh, If an HMD motorsports car is capable of winning a race in the championship, races and the championship, which I think we all understand it obviously is, uh, I don't think there's anything taken away that Miles couldn't get into that car, get super comfortable, maybe knock a win out uh, somewhere early and get momentum. I, I, you know, again, he's got great teammates around him, right? You've got Nolan Siegel. You've got Reese Gold. We'll talk about a couple other drivers that are on that team as, as well, that massive team. Um, but, again, I just I, listen, he, he was so impressive in USF 2000, was dominant last year. And I think, guys, where he kind of changed a bit last year, in the years earlier, he was very—he's he, always aggressive. You don't have to see, you are never going to be pushing Miles to be aggressive. He's going to—he's you know, always on attack. But last year, this is where the championship came from. He showed that level of maturity, the experience he had over a couple of years with us, where all of a sudden he settled in and realized he didn't need to win every race. A top five was good, you know, a top three. Now he won races early in the season that gave him some room. But I think we saw a different Miles row last year, one with more patience and more maturity. I think that's going to pay off dividends this season. As long as he's, you know, he's going to have the right people in his ear. He doesn't get too impatient early. If he gets a win early, I think that'll be that'll put him potentially in the championship fight. Rob wanted to ask you: It's going to be year two for Jamie Chadwick. It took um, uh, it was a very much a learning year for her in the Indy Lights car in terms of the physicality. Uh, what are the expectations for her in year two, and also expectations for Lindsey Brewer, with whom coast Hollinger, the uh, second female joining the series this year? Yeah, I'll start with Jamie Chadwick. I think that she had a lot of pressure on her last year, and of course, I watched from the sidelines. I don't know Jamie uh, that well. Of course, she's never really raced here coming up through the USF Pro Trip, so that's. Uh, but, but I watched with interest, and I thought she did a tremendous job. And I, I, for me, I was giving her lots of time. I, I personally think she's on a three-year program at least, right? I, I think she needed to learn the racetracks, which she didn't know because she wasn't part of the ladder system, the, the USF Pro Championships, where you learn all the racetracks and work your way up through. She was based in Europe. So she didn't know the tracks, and when she got here, she was in you know a, a pretty badass hot rod in the Dallara IL-15 with 450 horsepower. So it was a big race car, big step for her as well, coming up in the W Series. So... Personally, I thought she did a great job. This year, I think, with the, the, the depth of the field and the 20-plus you know, cars, I think, if she, I think if she looks at top 10s as being a, a, you know, a, a consistent top 10s would be a good thing for her. And then take one step forward in 2025. Now, you know, they're going to want to get her to IndyCar. There's a possibility of doing it, right? That's the bottom line. It's, they, they want her in, in the NTT IndyCar series. But, again, if she just keeps up with the progression that she's done, I think she's going to be great. You mentioned physicality. Um, again, I'm not in her camp, but I would hope that she has hit the gym so hard all, all the offseason where she's going to take another step forward in that area as well. Because, you know, learning the racetracks, the racetrack itself, she's got that. But learning the racetracks and then, of course, taking it to the next level uh, with her physicality and her fitness and health, I think will be the next step. You know, the, the next one is Lindsay Brewer. You mentioned her coming in from Hunko's Hollinger Racing. 
Uh, she looked pretty solid when she debuted at uh, Indianapolis the first time she got into the car with them. Uh, again, it's going to be a learning year for, for Lindsay, right? She's in exactly the same place as Jamie is. is um, I've watched her over the last couple of years since she debuted with us in USF Pro 2000's exclusive auto sport. You know, she early on struggled to hold on to the wheel. Um, some of the easier tracks, she was better, but she hit the gym. She worked out hard and was better last year. So, again, this is taking that next step up to a, a car with more of everything, more downforce, more braking, more horsepower. So, again, she's been in the gym a lot, I know, and, and I'm excited to see where she slots in when we get going in St. Petersburg. Now, with Indy Next, Rob, we have, again, 20 confirmed. I said, uh, I think I saw something where as much as 23 drivers could be in the mix. We even had another driver <laughs> announcement here uh, recently. Uh, with, uh, what, Able Motorsport uh, adding a third driver. So uh, are there any other expected announcements on the horizon? Not that I know of right now. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things I think where as the season rolls, you'll see some people potentially do one-offs here and there. I don't know of any other announcements myself. There are cars available. That's it, right? you know, obviously, Andretti Global is kind of locked down. Able Motorsports adding Josh Mason, as you had just mentioned, alongside Jacob Abel and you've been super worthy. Uh, you know, HMD has their, what, 10 drivers uh, <laughs> this year. They've got a full, a full boat. I don't know if Mike Marini wants to add another car to that one. But there are cars available at both Cape Motorsports and Hunkos Racing, right? So there's where you could potentially see potentially somebody kind of come alongside Lindsey Brewer at Hunkos and maybe Salvador de Alba at Cape Motorsports. So, you know, and then there's, of course, Jack Miller with Miller Vinatieri. They wanted keep it as a, as a single car effort. So there are a couple of cars available. So we could see, you know, maybe a couple more drivers. And one other thing with Indy next, they're changing road and street course qualifying. The field will be split into two groups yeah. based on practice times. Each group gets 12 minutes and then fastest group gets inside line and odd numbered starting positions. What do you make of that move? Uh, I haven't had a chance to really talk to anybody from IndyCar or IndyNext to, to understand the reasoning behind it, but I'm assuming just let's give these guys some open racetrack and let them go, right? And I, I, it, it kind of plays a little more towards the, the way IndyCar does things, right, where you really have to get it done in a shorter amount of time. So, you know, normally they've had, what, 20 minutes or a 30-minute window for 20 minutes of qualifying. Lock, I like tightening it down because, as you know, in NTC IndyCar Series qualifying, you don't have a lot of time, right? You got to get out there. You, you, you're out there on, on on a first set of tires. You, you bolt on the stickers, you know, the the reds, and see if you can go any quicker. And, and I like it. I think it's a different thing for these guys. A shorter amount of qualifying time will, I think, help them all in terms of being able to hone down and, and focus on putting that one lap in during that session. Rob, I wanted to ask you about HMD, and it, we're in an interesting kind of spot because you look at, oh, expansion in the IndyCar series, we're at a place where almost like, is there any room for more teams or at least more cars? You look at previous teams that we knew, okay, their end game is getting to the IndyCar series. We look at Carlin when they first came over. We looked at Hunkos, right? That was their goal. What is HMD's kind of mindset? Are they, do they always want to stay this big in Indy Lights and, and maybe move up with a car or two? But what is kind of their priorities? Because they are a huge, huge, huge part of the growth that we've seen in Indy Next. It's interesting, right? I think HMD kind of came along at the right time. Um, you know, Henry Malukas, uh, Mike Marini, and everybody at, at, the, at the program there as well, you know, A.J. Smith. I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, they, their aggression in terms of developing as a team and growing as a team kind of helped the, the opportunity to put this many cars on the grid, right? Because if you look at it, there, there's six teams. Now, granted, six teams with three cars each puts it at 18. So 
you know, maybe maybe will they continue to put this much effort into having this many cars, or will they back off a little bit knowing that Hunkos can run two, Cape can run two, whatever it may be? Um, do I see a potential IndyCar in the near future? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, but if you're Henry Malukas, when, when, do you, when is that the best time? When do you move in, right? We heard, I saw news today about, you know, Mark Miles talking about a new, new car engine package potentially coming in 2027. That would be, in my mind, that would be the time for HMB to come in. If they're going to enter IndyCar, you might as well enter at the time where the investment's going to be a longer investment. You're able to amortize your cars, right? And you also, you come in at the same time as everybody else with a brand new car and a brand new engine, right? You're not behind the eight ball at all. Essentially, everybody's on the same playing field. So, if indeed you know, the brain, the brain trust at HMD is sitting down in an office somewhere, thinking, "Hey, we're going to expand sooner or later into IndyCar, so we can bring a couple of our drivers with us," right? I, you know, if we have drivers in Indy next, and they want to move to IndyCar, why not just stay with us and come up to the big show? I think 2027 or whenever that new car ends up getting rolled out would be a logical time. Uh, line for these guys to, to eventually make that move. All right, let's shift to the other series in uh, the USF championships and big change this offseason. Cooper Tire going away. Continental stepping in as the new tire supplier and title partner of the series. How did this deal come about? Well, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, Cooper Tires uh, was purchased by Goodyear uh, a couple of years ago and it just it came to the point, I think it just ran its course, where uh, the, 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 you know, the Cooper, or rather the, the, the big wigs at Goodwood, uh, Goodyear had some uh, different ideas of what they wanted to do with Cooper. So, the, you know, we were going to go in a different direction. And the, the great thing is, is obviously the USF Pro Championships, the X, X Road to India, as you had said before, had such a great, you know, great reputation and a great history. We've been doing it since 2010 with Anderson Promotions. So when we put it up for bid, we had a handful of, of you know, the top names, entire brands come to us. And and the best deal we had, the best partnership package, it just everything leaned towards Continental. And it's been great out of the gate. They've been able to provide us tires. Uh, you know, we got our first batch down in, uh, in, in December. We were able to test at Sebring. The feedback was great. And I talked to a lot of drivers this past Monday and Tuesday as we had our spring training down at NOLA Motorsports Park. They said the tires, they, they, loved, they absolutely love the tires. It's a little bit different. You can push it really hard, but when you push it to the edge and it gets a little hot, it'll fall off a little more. So just the character of the tire itself is going to add a little bit more to the competitive nature of the series. And we're at 17 confirmed. I'm looking at the the chart for USF Pro 2000 for this upcoming season. One of the names returning to the series, I know everyone's pretty excited about this, Braden Eves, uh, able to get a deal to come back into the series. He will be with exclusive Autosport running a, a full series season, a full schedule this season. But a lot of names I think people have probably heard of in the past if you followed kind of the, the, the latter type series, Simon Sykes, Jace Denmark, uh, Nikita Johnson, all among people competing. Is there a favorite? Is Eves the favorite going into the season? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, Braden's been out of the seat, right, for, for a couple of years. He's a former USF 2000 champion. You mentioned a couple of the names there. I, I think we, we may get as high as 20 cars uh, for St. Petersburg. There's a couple of guys there that are looking to do one-off events as well, so we saw we had a really good lineup of drivers at NOLA for spring training. Uh, yeah, you know, having Braden back is fantastic, right? He, he was on the, you know, he had that big wreck in Indianapolis, as we know, uh, a number of years ago in 2020. Um, he's, that, he's, he's with Exclusive Autosport with engineer John Hayes, the same guy, same engineer that took Louis Foster to the championship. So if they hit their stride, they're going to come out of the gate really strong. 
But you mentioned Jay Stanmark. Obviously, he's coming back for another year. Christian Brooks getting a full season. Uh, he ran at USF 2000 a couple of years ago. Uh, got off to a great start. Uh, they opened a couple of sessions of St. Petersburg a couple of years ago, and they got to the wall and essentially sidelined him for the year. So Brooks is back. He'll be really quick, I think. Last year's USF 2000 champion, Simon Sykes, uh, you, you got to put your eye on him for sure. So Sykes, Brooks, and Denmark all at Taps Race and the team that was really the dominant factor last year. But I'll tell you, the, the two names, I'll, I'll give you three names I think we need to watch. Number one, Lockie Hughes, returning three motorsports. Lockie was runner-up last year in USF 2000, was the fastest driver at spring training testing at NOLA, uh, and the Aussie is very good. So I think he's going to be definitely one to watch for Lockie Hughes coming from, from, uh, from turn three. Nikita Johnson, right, uh, just 16 years of age for VRD Racing, uh, USF Juniors, USF 2000, dabbled at the end of the season, and USF Pro 2000 actually won at the Circuit of the Americas last fall. This guy is very impressive. He's got tons of seat time. He's going to do double duty this year. He's going to run USF Pro 2000 and the entire GP, uh, GP3 series. Uh, somehow, there's no conflict at all between the two programs, so he'll be running with VRD with Arden over in Europe. He'll run with VRD Racing here this year. And I think the last but lot, not least, kind of the, the new guy coming out of Canada to watch, Matt Clark for D-Force Racing, won the USF Junior Championship a couple of years ago, was in the fight as well last year in USF 2000, dabble with USF Pro. I think Clark is going to be a top-five runner coming out of the gate as well. Rob, when we look at all the way down with USF Juniors, and it's never too early even to start looking at some of those guys. Have you seen in, in the first two years of USF Juniors, it's serving its purpose as that first step from karting into uh, single seaters in terms of, of the ladder, in terms of the road that we used to call it. So is the junior system working? And maybe who are some people we should keep an eye on all the way down in juniors? Yeah, here's the thing about USF Juniors. We started it uh, in 2022 with the concept that we, we wanted the, the drivers that were coming out of other series into USF 2000, we didn't feel that they were at the level we needed them to be to compete, right? So we wanted to come up with something our, our own, to put, put these drivers in our own program, learning our tracks, learning our culture, our uh, staff, our race directors. And that's why we started USF Juniors. So we, we ran the old uh, Ligier F4 car the first year. We rolled out the Tadis uh, JR23 last year, which is essentially the USF 2000 car, but with different brakes, uh, different wheels, a different uh, damper package. Same horsepower, same, same downforce, but it's a really good car for them to come in with. It's also detuned just a little bit with a restrictor. It's a little bit about four seconds slower on a track like Road America. The beauty of the program is it, it, all of a sudden people have seen what it is. Last year, 16 to 18 cars. This year, we're going to have 30 or 32 cars at the opening round at NOLA on the first week, uh, first weekend of April. It, it, the field is stacked. Um, there's incredible drivers. You ask it if, it if it's done its job. And I look over at USF 2000, and you say it, it definitely has, right? We're going to see them come out of the gate. Joey Brienza for exclusive autosports, going to be a driver to watch. He ran USF Juniors last year. Nicholas Schiaponi, last year's uh, USF Juniors champion, he's going to be in the fight for the title as well. you got Sam Corey, who's come up through juniors. Max Taylor's come up through juniors. Carson Etter. These drivers, Luke Quinn Armstrong as well, have come up through the junior category. They're the ones that are going to battle in USF 2000 this year. But, man, we have a, like, a, just an unbelievably stacked field of juniors. I think Jack Jeffers is going to be one to watch. Of course, a, a, a multi-time winner last year. They hit out of San Antonio, Texas with exclusive autosport. He's going to be really good. There are some other names, though. And this, you know, not so much for a shocker, but we didn't know he was coming into the program. 
Jay Howard Driver Development signing Liam McNeely from the U.K., uh, won a couple of races in GB4 last year, and he was the fastest driver at NOLA during spring training. So kind of shook everybody up with the speed he has. And, of course, as you guys know, all eyes really on, or a lot of eyes, obviously, on Sebastian Weldon winning the Skip Barber program last year, running for Velocity Racing Development, VRD this year. Um, Taylor, uh, Max Taylor will be his teammate. But I think Weldon's going to be pretty good as well. Well, and let's also not forget Leandro Juncos, Ricardo Juncos' son, Bruno yeah. Ribeiro. So there's a lot of name recognition in USF Juniors, and, and, and let alone you have some, some great names in USF 2000, Ayrton Houck, Jace Bacon, uh, J. Howard Driver Development. Uh, uh, this is, you, you know, we kind of talk about HMD and what they've done in Indy Next, but J. Howard Driver Development, seven drivers in USF Juniors, and then you couple that with their package with three drivers in USF 2000. Um, I, I mean, is this kind of the next team to work their way up the ladder all the way to IndyCar? I don't know that, that Jay's focused on that. You know, I, I think the, where he is right now, he, he has a driver development program. I don't know what, if we're going to see him make that move. I, Jay and I have never sat down and had that conversation. I think for anybody looking at potentially going uh, to IndyCar, you know, the first step is to, to start a solid uh, Indy Next program, right? So that would be the – if anybody's thinking about making that move, Indy Next would be the place to be. But for the most part, I think that the teams that we have in our program – are focused on being, you know, a driver development ladder series program. They bring young drivers in, they, they coach them up, they get them ready to go up to Indy next. We may see one or two team owners think about Indy next, but I don't know that the long-term plans for Jay Howard include IndyCar because really he's, you know, he's been su- he's been such a big player in the development side. You know, he was with that he was in F4 for so many years, then moved from F4 and came in, you know, fully bought into the USF Juniors program. And like you said, he's got he got seven drivers, uh, and I would say out of those seven. There's a good possibility three, you know, at least three of those drivers could challenge for the championship or a top three in the points. So I think Jay's where he needs to be right now. Rob, final question from me. We see uh, develop, development drivers signed over in Europe a lot, you know, with Red Bull Academy and stuff and junior drivers for all these teams. We've seen kind of maybe a, a, an increase in developmental driver contracts or whatever you want to call them over in the IndyCar side. You look at Kiffin Simpson and even Andretti supporting the Weldon boys. Do you think there's a trend that's going to continue on this side of the pond where you're going to see more IndyCar series teams make deals with either drivers or teams in the junior categories and kind of really kind of streamline maybe that development up to IndyCar? You know, when I look at that, it, it's interesting to me because it's it's one of those things where, you know, you look at a, look at a Kyle Kirkwood who was coming up through the ranks, right? Um, eventually, when he got to, to Indy Lights, it, which was Indy Lights, of course, at the time, Indy Next, uh, he ran for Andretti Autosport. And even though he went from Andretti uh, Indy Next to Foyt, he, he was an Andretti driver, right? And I think that's I think you're going to see a, more more teams do what they can to potentially get a hold of some of these young guys coming up so that, that they that they will have I don't want to control them but the rights to them or you know or they'll at least have that relationship where they can potentially bring them in because I think we've seen a lot of the kids now come out of I shouldn't say kids, I'm I guess I'm getting older and they're still young. <laughs> uh, these these drivers in any next, they're coming right out and they're impressive right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Le, you know, Le, Linus Lundquist is a perfect example right now. Christian Rasmussen, who won the next you know program I'm telling you, that's a guy to watch. Rasmussen's going to be good with Ed Carpenter. I think that I think he's going to be really impressive. He's got such a fire in him, and I think this as this happens, some of these IndyCar teams are like, listen, we can't let some of these guys go. We need to get our 
our hands on him quickly. So, you know, you mentioned Kip and Simpson already. You know, Josh Pearson's got the relationship with Ed Carpenter Racing as well. I, I would not be surprised to see more of that happen just to make sure that some of these really talented drivers don't go to the enemy, if you will. Final question for you, Rob. With you look at the change with Anderson Promotions no longer running uh, what used to be Indy Lights, now Indy Next, and, and Anderson Promotions adding uh, some series and kind of realigning how they do everything, especially with the USF Juniors that they added a couple years ago. What's kind of been the, the return on that? And is Anderson Promotions happy? And kind of what's next for them with the development series? Well, you know, I think the, the thing that we did was, you know, our, our initial program was USF 2000, and we added the uh, the USF Pro 2000 category in 13 when, when Dan Anderson eventually bought up Star Mazda. We turned that to Indy Pro 2000 and eventually USF Pro 2000. And, of course, right around that time, 2014, uh, you know, we did the deal with IndyCar to, to manage the Indy Lights program. So that our goal at that point was, and the road to Indy was a good term for it, obviously, because our goal was to develop these drivers to IndyCar. And to be honest, all we've really done is kind of evolve who we are and what we do. Now our goal is to develop drivers that are ready for Indy Next, right? It's, it's, it's what we do. Have we, have we changed the end goal and, and the, the final place where we develop and push drivers into? Yes. We're not, we're not directly responsible for developing the drivers for IndyCar, but we are you know, responsible for moving drivers into Indy Next. And we, you know, we mentioned 20 drivers in the field, 13 of those drivers have uh, come through the USF Pro Championships, and I'll say this: and, you know, it, it, there was a time when that USF Pro level, uh, Pro 2000 level, was very small. You go back to 2017; we were transitioning from the old car, the old uh, uh, Pro Formula Mazda, into the new Tatus car. We only had six full-time drivers in 20, uh, 2017. Then that's why we had lower car counts in, US, uh, in the Indy Lights program for a couple of years. We didn't have those guys in that level below to move up. Well, now that we've got 20, you know, 18 to 20, I thought we might even have 22 at one point. Let's say we have 18 to 20 drivers in USF Pro 2000. Now we've developed a fantastic pool where that where Indy Next can can get their drivers right. Like you just look at that Indy Next field and how many guys have moved up. I mentioned, I said Foster, Rowe, uh, Abel, Sundar, Amurthy, Siegel, uh, Gold, Bogle, Pearson, Rowe, Jonathan Brown. Like you just keep going down the order, right? And that's and you know, Galba, Brewer, Miller all coming from USF Pro 2000. And when you look down the order and you see us with 30-plus cars in USF Juniors, that's the future of the program. These kids that are all the way down, like a Jack Jeffers, a Liam McNeely, we talked about him, Sebastian Weldon, those guys are going to be an Indy Next and IndyCar in five years. So for, for us, we just kind of shifted everything. We've got a little bit younger in terms of bringing drivers out of karting. We didn't used to handle that directly. We do now, which is awesome. We get, they learn our culture. They learn how we want to develop them. And then we moved them into USF 2000 and Pro 2000 after that. So yeah, I, I'm going to tell you, you, you and I had this conversation three, three years down the line, and you're probably going to see 24 cars in Indy next, if not more. It's good to hear because it's come a long way over the last several yeah. years, and, and HMD has obviously played a key role in that expansion. Rob, as always, enjoy chatting with you and getting a preview of what's to come in the uh, junior categories, and uh, appreciate it every year as we do this preview with you. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Always good to talk about the future stars. As I said, you know, just a couple of years ago, we were talking about Kirkwood. We were talking about Rena DK, right? We were talking about some of these guys that were just coming through the ranks, and now they're, you know, the stars of the NTT IndyCar Series. So it's always a pleasure. And anytime any drivers or any, uh, any fans are at the racetrack, feel free to come over to the USF Pro Championships paddock because that's where you get to meet the future stars. 
We do autograph sessions every weekend, and I'm more than happy to chat with you guys about it whenever the uh, opportunity arises. That was Rob Howden, Series Development Director for the USF Championships. Joining us, our preview of Indy Next and also the USF Championships. As always, appreciate Rob and his time. Give us uh, kind of what's to come in those series. And with that, if uh, you have something to say, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, you can check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale. Get you ready for the season. Also, you can uh, sign up for the email list. It is absolutely free. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements that we have. Also, you can interact with us on show- social media, IndyCar Podcast on Twitter slash X. Also on Instagram, on Facebook, just search for New Track Record. You can support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash New Track Record. Thanks to Xavier and others for their support. Again, starting at just $1 a month. And as always, download and listen to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, uh, Overcast, CastBox, wherever you listen to podcasts and listen in for free. News and notes time. And Plenty we have to get to huh. a lot. I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Well, we should have anticipated this, right? Vinyl week without a race to begin the season. We have Formula One starting this weekend. We have IndyCar starting next weekend. Should have presumed um, that a lot of stuff would come out, especially with Mark Miles meeting with the media on Thursday. Yes, yeah, we record this on Thursday evening, leap day, February 29th. Uh, so what? Just like a, a week and change out from the start of practice down at St. Petersburg for the Firestone GP. And we have so many little stories that are like, right. wasn't one big overarching story. Yeah. So let's just, we'll, we'll go probably more recent to uh, further away in the, yeah. the last week, because there are a lot of things that came down today as we record on Thursday. So the first thing, Mark Miles had a media availability session and they hope to have an agreed upon charter concept by the Indianapolis 500. And this newest proposal no guaranteed entries for the Indy 500. Go figure. Well, it was an interesting story because there was no like a proposal that was presented by Mark Miles to the owners in this meeting today, or at least whenever this meeting happened. But through intermediaries, uh, reporters were able to find out different tidbits of what could be on the table or what was on the table that was no longer going to be on the table. Basically, it was there would not be guaranteed spots in the 500. However, all the team owners now are like, well, you mentioned that, and now that's what we want. And I don't blame the team owners for wanting that. So you can throw all you want at the series, but I think now it's the team owners that are really going to lead this charge and say, if you want us to buy into this charter system and not buy into it financially, because that was floated too, where they're like, hey, by the way, if you want to start in this charter system, we want you to pay a million dollars each. And the teams were like, get the hell out of here. We're not paying you a million dollars. So that one quickly went away. But if you want the teams to buy into this thing, then is is guaranteed spots going to have to be a part of it? It's almost like you dangled it out there to begin with. It's going to be very difficult to pull it back. And that's kind of what IndyCar is trying to do, it sounds like. Hard to take it back. But again, the fan backlash, obviously strong. Which, um, you know, we and I, you and I went back and forth because you were like, well, that's just what business and companies do. You kind of float something out there to see the reaction. Like if IndyCar thought there was going to be any different reaction to that, <laughs> they have no sense of their fan base. That is true. And and I went through it when I said I wasn't entirely against it, but even you know, I don't want it. But uh, it's just bizarre that IndyCar maybe thought, oh, we'll float this out there to see what the fan base thinks. Like we could have told you what the fan yeah, base. Yeah, they didn't. Is they think. didn't need if if <laughs> they needed to float it out there to know. Um, that's kind of a problem. It concerns me about, do they really have the pulse of the fans if they think that that's something they need to 
get out there to see what they think. So, uh, again, they hope to have something implemented by the Indy 500. We'll see if that happens. But this has been an ongoing thing for a while, so uh, I don't think it's anything to really freak out about anytime soon. Now, other good tidbits from Mark Miles' kind of little discussion uh, with media members. He also said the series is, is trying to debut both a new powertrain unit, engine plus hybrid, as well as a new chassis. Hey! Oh my goodness! For the 2027 Could this season. this series actually have a plan? A long-term plan? It almost sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, and then more details from Marshall Pruitt on that is uh, that came out in Racer.com article that I thought was kind of fascinating, came out before those comments, um, discussing conversations, obviously, Honda and Chevy on board currently, and then They've had talks since 2023 as far as the next powertrain formula and some some brands mentioned. So we knew Toyota, part of discussions. Hyundai as well, part of discussions. So we'll see what becomes of that. But hey, at least they're working on something. But this is a tight timeline. If you're going to pull this off, you got to basically have this stuff finalized by what? Like the summer? Uh, and, and I don't move know. Three, forward? three years. I think you'd... you'd you better have it by this time next year. Yes. You better have it finalized, but it's good that you're having conversation. Um, what has been discussed too and, and, and mentioned is some type of spec, Mm -hmm. uh, engine power plant that then is branded by multiple different, uh, OEMs, which could be a possibility. It's good that Honda is actually still in these discussions. Yes. That's a positive. Chevy and Honda still involved. And then I mentioned Hyundai and Toyota are uh, who've looked at to be engine suppliers in recent years, according to Marshall Pruitt, understood to be among those within the series consultation loop on the 2027 formula. Which is good because you want your two existing OEMs to say, this is what we want. This is what we need. And then maybe two prospective OEMs and saying, this is what we would like to see that would make us want to invest in the series. So but it was a good story to read, and I almost was—I almost had to read it twice to <laughs> to really believe that the that the series is actually thinking this far ahead because we've had no indications that they are. So it's good to see, and I would hope that 2027 this series would debut a new engine formula and a new chassis. It just makes too much sense, yes, to do both of them in the same year. Uh, then we get to racetracks. One, can't believe we skipped over this. The the best news I think we've had all off season that the Milwaukee doubleheader will be sponsored by High V. So they're adding on to their sponsorship. Obviously, already sponsoring Christian Lungard, sponsoring the the doubleheader at Iowa. Now it's going to be the High V Milwaukee Mile two fifties, August thirtieth and September first. They'll be the race title sponsor. So we'll see what they put together as far as will they have concerts or what kind of entertainment packages. And then also this from Miles on Nashville. Uh, Mark Miles says IndyCar targeting future finales to take place before week one of the NFL season. So you hope they start the season earlier, right? So you don't so have you, that long of a layoff. Well, you think they would end on Labor, Labor Day, Day weekend? weekend? Like they used to. Yeah. Which, but then hopefully you start your season you know, in late, late February. Yes. Uh, also, I'm perfectly content with that. I know some people out there every year, oh, they ends too early. I'm perfectly fine. You, I would like for them to have the problem where they have a full enough calendar where they can go till the first weekend of October. That's just not reality. Yeah, I know. I think you 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 pad the front end as opposed to the back. Yes. End. And then as far as Nashville Super Speedway, uh, yes, it will 
be the season finale until the streets of Nashville are suitable to hold a street race, which would uh-huh. be 2027. That according to Nathan Brown of the Indy star, man, 2027 is already looking like a banger of a season, yeah. right? New engine, new chassis, supposedly Nashville street race will be back. Let's go. Can we just fast forward through three years and get there <laughs> at this point? But um, no, that was now it is IndyCar. Okay, we always yeah. have to temper our enthusiasm because what's going to go wrong between now and 2027? But it's very encouraging some of these comments, some of these this information that's coming out. That okay, because we don't we didn't get very much, and it seemed almost like this series was just week to week, day to day, you know, trying to survive. And at least now they have some sort of coherent plan that at least they're presenting to some of their partners in terms of their OEM. So good to see, but. I think it's perfectly fine if IndyCar ends the season on Labor Day. That's perfectly fine with me. I'm okay with it as long as you move up the start of the season into February. Yeah, and even like the first, like like if this weekend the rate the the series the season started, I'm fine with yeah. March, early March to late August. But um, that's me. Meanwhile, from schedules to marketing, defy everything is in the past. Uh, R.I.P. Now it was. It was the slogan for what, a couple of years, two years? Yeah, a couple of years. Now, it was technically still part of it for 2023, but it was launched in 2022, obviously trying to get a younger audience. They've not made a lot of progress. Is Not sure how that uh, slogan the, yeah, helps the, you get As younger. far as the fan base, uh, this is from Racer.com, um, 65 plus is 45% of the fan base, which is not sustainable, obviously. There was a lot of numbers and percentages in that yeah. story that I kind of just glossed over. Basically, all you need to know is IndyCar's core audience is too old. Yes. And older than most, if not all, other major sports in this country in terms of the demographics. Yeah. So they really got to find a way to get younger fans. And you know obviously, they're, they're trying to do that, and we'll see what they do. And something um, that they're trying as part of that i'm sure mark miles uh, also saying that they're going to push urban and metro event expansion that uh, via racer.com this means in places we've discussed right denver on the radar yeah uh according to pruitt uh, also penske entertainment looking at dallas texas again i think was it a listener who posed this to us as far as a I think so dallas street race to, that would have to be early in the year right like it's Hot as hell in Dallas. Yeah, the most summer. Of the year, right. Yeah, you so, would you would have to you would want to do this in March. Could, yeah, could that be an early race? Um, so Dallas a, a, is another possibility, apparently, on the series radar. So looking at adding more street courses, which I know some fans don't necessarily like, but that is how you get a younger audience moving into markets. And right. Miles talking about you know a lot of the ovals are outside of markets. Obviously, IMS is well, there's no market gateways. Essentially, right by the market, Milwaukee, right by the market. Nashville is outside, but not so far outside that you're completely removed. Right. Um, You can throw in a few other ovals too. Look at some of the ones that were built, you know, in the Midwest. You look at Chicago land, the middle, not close to Chicago. Kentucky, Kentucky's near nothing. Yeah. So it's it's places like that. Um, Is Kansas Speedway? I don't think that's. Yeah, I don't anywhere. think it's near anything. So, um, Bristol's in the middle of nowhere, but it's you know different different story with Bristol. But uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't ideal. Here's the thing: because I read that story and people, you, it basically was like, would you? The question was proposed to Mark Miles: Would you then expand the schedule in terms of races, or would they replace existing races? And he basically said, 
replace existing races. And at first I'm like, well, that's not good. But then you start thinking you have double headers at what? Two different ovals or three yeah, Iowa and Milwaukee, Iowa, Milwaukee. So those places only need one race. Correct. Ideally. Okay. And if Hy-Vee is involved, you could say, okay, you do one day. You have two of those concerts that you, cause you normally have four at Iowa. You go cut down to two and then you put the other two at, 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 uh, at Michigan or not Michigan, Milwaukee. That'd be phenomenal. Right? So, there's ways to still have races everywhere you race now, but expand your footprint in terms of markets that you're in. We don't need two races at Iowa. We don't need two races at Milwaukee. It is a need because of lack of races elsewhere right now. So I think you can see an expansion of the footprint without an expansion of the race count, but still keep all of your current races. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I I think people are you know afraid of ovals getting canned and and yes there is kind of the debate and and NASCAR man underscore RR is a, a prominent racing account on Twitter posted you, you know kind of two years apart yeah Pinsky says ovals in cars primary need in growing the schedule <laughs> and then now this yes. so yes it is confusing but one thing's coming from Mark Miles another's coming from Pinsky so we'll see how it plays out but I, I think guess. you look at it what where's the series at five ovals this year um, Indy Milwaukee Iowa Gateway, Gateway Nashville Nashville that's five yeah uh, to me is that that's probably okay enough? I mean that, I mean like ideally me, that's fine like my perfect schedule I mean, is six 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 right yes six road and street or six road courses six street courses six ovals I think they're I think that's really kind of the, the future model they could get to. I think that's attainable. I think when we look at now, those five five ovals have to be in good shape. But if you could add one more, and Texas? those are your six. <clears throat> yeah, Texas comes back. Like Those are your six ovals. That's all you really need uh, if you're trying to go for that 666, right? So um, you're almost there. I, I just... I'm not somebody that now that we're at five ovals say we need more and more and more. I just think if you can have a, a, an even balance, which IndyCar hasn't been in forever in terms of what, of all three of its disciplines. Yeah, I would be on board with that personally. Uh, Indy 500 ticket unveiled also. Uh, and I like that they included a shot of the car, a new garden out of the yep. car to the yard of bricks. That's I think cool. th- it's like I get that you're going to have like a, you know, the milk dump photo. Sure. But I like that this is different. Personally, yes. that's just me. Uh, also, uh, John Oriovitz, uh, Indy Oreo, a fox spotted at IMS Saw that today. So that, is, that, is that an omen? Fox <laughs> is a TV partner? Who knows? Ooh, product placement. <laughs> He's just chilling on the stairwell. Yeah. One of the uh, grandstands. <laughs> yes, I think that is, uh, that is a good indicator. Obviously, I'm reaching. Okay, so there's a, a lot of the, the mostly good nuggets, right, that, that came out. Now look at us. A lot of positivity yes. on this show. Oh, absolutely. Um, there, there was a lot of positives up. Barber, we finally have a time for. That's nice. Noon Central, one Eastern. Uh, so that announced as well. McLaren adding Genesis as an official partner, which remember mm. they came in, sponsored some races, sponsored Hinchcliffe and Andretti. They so mm-hmm. they're back in the series. Uh, now let's get to kind of the not so great. Uh, Marshall Pruitt on his, his podcast saying, if you're a Honda fan and you like NASCAR, you're probably going to be really happy here in the future. Mm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean Honda's leaving IndyCar. Chevy does both. Yeah, but to be clear, Honda's questioning the value in IndyCar, and that's the that's the real issue. That's the big thing. They need increased ROI in IndyCar can, or lowering of costs. Can IndyCar deliver? And 
I think it was in the mailbag this this week that mm-hmm. I think it was the first indication uh, from Marshall Pruitt that we've heard that yes, IndyCar is taking what Honda is saying seriously, which is I would hope they are, but at least we got some confirmation on that. Yes, yes, and that that was I believe in the racer mailbag this week. Um, we have so many like little things to get to what what's do you want to get to to car liveries do you want to get to silly season stuff what what oh, do you want to get to silly next? season no, let's go do car liveries okay let's uh, rattle these off so uh really cool that John Bon Jovi is going to be not only the sponsor Bon Jovi Rodeo on Sirius XM uh for uh not only St. Pete but also Thermal for Felix Rosenquist and John Bon Jovi going to ride in the the fastest seat in sports driven by Elio at St. Pete. So that's a really cool partnership. Cool looking car. Yep. And then uh, Meyer Shank also uh, announcing what uh, the car is going to look like for, uh, I got to keep my name straight, Tom Blomquist. Mm-hmm. Um, Arctic Wolf on a lot of the races and then Sirius XM on the others. A cool looking car that'll kind of go back and forth throughout the season. Um, Scott Dixon, kind of the white fade on the front wing. Yeah. Same similar look with PNC Bank, but it looks pretty cool. Uh Renus VK is gonna have a, a very standout card. It'll be green and black and white. Ask ROI, which is a ROI, I think I said ROI. ROI, mm-hmm. generative AI tool. Um, that is the sponsor. Again, through this the same kind of platform of businesses they have had. Uh continuing on the list, Will Power uh, will have Verizon business on the car. It is black, white, and red. And, you know, the mock-up doesn't look as cool as it looks on track. Okay. I think the good. mock-up doesn't do it justice. Good. Uh, and then Stingray Rob is going to have the the gold, like met- like the metallic gold, really shiny, kind of reminds you of the Hinchcliffe Aero car back in the day. Yes. That looks pretty cool. And I saw a video that Foyt Racing put out kind of showing the application uh-huh. of that, which... Fascinating. I don't think we see enough of that because I don't seriously don't truly understand how they put that wrap on. But they showed elements of doing it. it. Just looks like aluminum foil. They're pretty much putting on, at least with the gold aluminum foil. But pretty dazzling looking car. You're going to be able to find see it on track for better or for worse. Stingray Rob better uh, deliver this year because people are going to know when he's out there. And then Andretti doing their unveil last weekend. Marcus Erickson will have Delaware Life, uh, kind of a navy blue and a, a teal and white car with black accents. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood will have. Auto Nation with black, pink, and white. And then Colton Herta, obviously yellow, black, and, and white accents. A lot more white on the car this year. All kind of like kind of like a dark kind of theme right. for all these. So and that'll kind of be cool. interesting to see on track. When you see them from above, they're all different colors, but kind of like the same style in mm-hmm. terms of the paint. Yes. And and the and the trim and the livery. So as they say in NASCAR, cool. the paint scheme. Yeah, the paint scheme. So it looks good for Andretti. And then Graham Ray Hall, the, the fifth third car unveiled as well. Pretty similar. I hope they bring back the like Stars and Stripes United Reynolds car. That was, that was so cool. Yes. Um, I, I hope agree. we see that again, at least for the Indy 500. So there's some livery announcements. Let's do some some driver news. And obviously testing at Sebring and then late last week testing uh, for the hybrid at Homestead. Of course, that was only the quote unquote big four teams participating in that. The other teams, everybody else will get their opportunity coming up the end of March, March 28th and 29th to uh, carry out their hybrid opportunity. And I believe that will be, yes, the IMS road course for everybody else to get their shot. 
Uh, and then again, the plan introduced the hybrid powertrain. Mid Ohio is the anticipated event, which is kind of what we expected, yeah. right? Yeah. But that continues to be mentioned out there that that time by Marshall Pruitt. Um, and then testing. So it, normally we're not going to read a whole lot into testing times. That's not what we do here. You can look up the times. They're posted everywhere. And again, everyone's on their own testing program. So you don't need to get bogged down by this. It is interesting, though, that Marcus Erickson leading testing and his new team at Andretti for the Sebring test, which was essentially a, what, a, a full field test yes. that they did earlier this week. And Colin Braun, who got the nod for Dale Coyne, uh, along with Jack Harvey testing, Colin Braun actually beat out Harvey's time on day two. So those are kind of the, the takeaways. And we mentioned Andretti. Yeah, Craig Hampson, we wondered where he'd land back at Andretti. So he will be the senior engineer. He will not start, though, until uh, sometime before May, according to Nathan Brown. It could be before, so maybe he, he debuts at Barber. Obviously, they have these non-competes, right? Right, so and it has to that, expire before That is factoring in on that. But a, a big, big move for that team as they try to reset things this year. Well, going back to Colin Braun, and that would be, in my opinion, of the available drivers that are within reason that we've heard, Colin Braun, I think, would be the the best land i mean he's a guy despite the lack of open wheels experience has won multiple championships and and whether in sports cars you know 25 or some wins is an ex- he's a veteran guy he's in his mid-30s and we've seen guys that have come in to this series as rookies but as older rookies we saw augustine canapino do it with hunkos last year right it's just a different mindset so it's not the I'm 21 years old. I have to come in and make an impression. And this is my, this is my one career opportunity to make it big. And, and I have to drive and take risks and all that stuff. We saw Canapino just that, that veteran, this is just another seat. I'm in my, my career isn't hinging on this. You know, my next 20 years isn't hinging on this. And he took what the car gave him was respectful on track, all that stuff. And Canapino had a really successful season based on expectations and preseason. Could that be Colin Braun? Could that be the best thing for Dale Coyne is not to put two hotshot young drivers that are trying to make a name for themselves in those seats, but Colin Braun being a good balance to maybe someone else that's a youngster that he can help mentor and maybe show the way. And I know he's inexperienced in IndyCar, but he's a veteran of, of race car driving. Great sports car driver. Yes. So... 35-year-old rookie. Can you imagine? Yes. I mean, th- it, it all it makes too much sense... For Colin Braun. I mean, you had Augustine Canapino last year as a rookie at, what, 33? So we saw how mature Canapino was in terms of handling the situation at Hunkos. And I think Colin Braun could have a similar impact at Dale Coyne Racing. So who will be in the car at Coyne for St. Pete? Well, we expect Jack Harvey, that according to Racer, for one entry. And then it really just depends on how Coin feels about the test with Colin Braun, which, I mean, I would think they'd feel pretty good based on the test times, depending on, you know, what they're doing with their program. Also, Marshall Pruitt reporting uh, Catherine Legg and Nolan Siegel in play. Benjamin Peterson been been mentioned as a possibility in, in uh, Marshall saying on the, the mailbag on Racer as well, Catherine Legg rumored to be the second coin car at Indy, at least, if not all the ovals. So... A lot of options still at play. I think one thing's for sure: Jack Harvey will be in a coin seat at St. Pete. I, I feel pretty confident in yeah. that. The other, Do you feel seat, pretty confident in him him knowing right now that he's in that seat. It just hasn't been announced. I think so. 
now the other seat i don't know but th- this is fun this is like how it used to be you know 10 or so years ago right where we're leading up to race week yeah, who's, who's going to be, be in the coin cars seat, right? you know it, you never know who who you'd get it'd be kind of fun the more this things is, change going, the more they stay the same yes. right so we're we're, we're throwing it back to that era so it's actually it's it's exciting for me but i like to think that hopefully behind the scenes there's more answers than what we're privy to oh i'm sure there are i have to imagine that coin has has his plan in place he's either just trying to find money or waiting on the announcements or you know keeping the door open for this that or the other but i have to imagine that that some of those drivers know where they fit in with coin with the season starting just over a week meanwhile pato award getting a contract extension he got paid (laughs) yeah he did uh two-year extension worth 10.2 million dollars this from nathan brown of the indy star so there are a lot more details on the alex blow suit and that's how brown was able to pull this information. So the payday, and this is how this will work. So it'll be paid four million in 2026, 4.2 million in 2027, plus he got a two million dollar what Brown is calling an uplift to his current contract. So essentially a two million dollar bonus, uh probably for serving as McLaren's F1 reserve driver for twenty four and twenty five. So good for him. Now, as, much- Gra- as Graham Rahal replied, uh, you're not buying breakfast anymore. And Pato said, how about dinner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm no longer buying uh, breakfast. But now how much of that is he going to have to sign over then to McLaren? What do you mean? Or how much is he going to Well, it's, we're talking about uh, Pato Ward, excuse Pato. me. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you think that contract is signed with predominantly IndyCar in mind? Yes. You think it's a does that reset the market somewhat? Because I'm sure there are several teams going paying a guy five million dollars a year that hasn't won a championship, that hasn't won an Indianapolis 500. Like, what's that do for the market? Colton Hurd is already getting that kind of money, and he hasn't done either either. I mean, Scott Dixon and Plo, we know are getting that money. Yeah, um, Hurd is getting that money, and Pato's getting that money. Beyond I that, it, right? uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think think he's getting that kind of money. I don't think Will Power is either. But it will be a it will be a a interesting storyline to follow on how maybe that resets the market or the expectations. I mean, that's a lot of this thing. It's a lot of money to give somebody that hasn't won a title, hasn't won a 500. Same thing with Colton Herta. And Alex Pillow, you look at hasn't won a 500, but he's won multiple championships. Scott Dixon, Scott Dixon, of course, with the with the Indy 500 win and multiple championships. Okay. But Herta and now Pato, those are the two dudes coming up. You know, we saw them battle an Indy Lights championship and came in as rookies at the same time. But you could also say they neither one of them have delivered yet, but they're getting paid like they are. Yes. Well, so let's see well, what 2024 They're, they're winning races. They're competing for championships, but they've never truly been. I mean, I guess Pato was one time, right? T- toward the end of a season. But right. They're they're in the the they can be in the top five. They both achieve that, but now they need to go out and, and, and that's, execute. That's the thing, and, and I that's think, the big difference between those guys and the Dixons and the Powers and the New Gardens and the Pelos of the world. Yeah, and I think what's maybe not being said in the paddock, but maybe kind of being said quietly, is all right. You're making this money. It's time to perform. It's time yeah. to bring home a championship. It's time to win a five hundred. Which of those two? If I had to ask you which one wins a championship first, which one wins an Indianapolis 500 first, is it the same driver? Oof. I don't know. I think I'm taking Pato to win a 500 and Herder to win a championship. I, I, that's what I would have said. Yeah. yeah I that's kind of where I'm at. 
Uh, and speaking of the 500, uh, good news here, not that this is a surprise, but an Indy 500 ticket sales update, and they're they're tracking close to 2016's sellout in, in terms of ticket sale pace. And again, Kyle Larson competing in the Indy 500, and I don't even think that's really part of the marketing strategy just yet, but it will be coming up. And again, not surprised by this based on tickets sold last year. It, this always felt like an outside possibility as far as updates. New safer walls, new catch fencing, safer foam around the entire track, three new video boards, a new ticket resale platform. Of note, though, no update to the turn two fencing. I was kind of kind of surprised about that. I was too. Um, they feel like they've fixed it with the hub, the new hub for the wheel. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprised they didn't raise the catch fence a little bit, but I don't know. Hopefully it's just a freak accident. That's all it takes is... One freak accident, right? Unfortunately. There's some and, video boards, right? <laughs> inside and outside the track. Always good. Always good for the fan experience. And new restart procedure. They're going to have a, a painted line that will be where people can take off. This is about time, right? NASCAR is <laughs> the, like, the cone zone, right? Well, now it's, it's the finally, Geico restart zone. Yes, as well, heard, yeah, you got to have a yes. sponsor. But it, it's about time they painted a yellow line on the track and made this kind of the restart zone. And you cannot accelerate till you pass that line yes correct yes what a what a concept right right? and i imagine the line will be go up and you'll have a cone on the wall similar to what you have in cup where this is you have to you cannot accelerate until you get past this line it always takes the simplest things that are the most difficult solutions for indycar sometimes yeah and then finally i don't know if we talked about this last week but the rule in terms of the new garden rule. We talked about the rule and we brought up why there wasn't a um, punishment. Punishment. Well, they haven't figured that out yet. No, I know. So we'll <laughs> continue to monitor that situation. I mean, here's the thing: as we, we talked about it a little bit, we 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 talked about it with with listeners too on the on the podcast on Twitter. It's like because we were like, well, it's it's February, you got plenty of time to to announce it. But like, what's taking so? How how difficult is it to say if you do this, you're disqualified? What's the problem? Unless IndyCar is going to be so afraid to disqualify someone that they're just going to give them a fine or a points penalty or something if they do it and win the race, do they have the cojones to say you're being stripped of your Indianapolis 500 win because you did that? That's the only, in my opinion, why the hesitancy of announcing the the punishment is you don't want to make it hard, fast, cut and dry. You do this, this happens. Because how many arbitrary rules do we have in IndyCar where we're not really sure what's a rule, what's not a rule, what the punishment is. This guy got this. This guy got this. Makes no sense. This just seems like another instance where this could be something like that, where you clearly violate a rule, yet it's called differently or you're not punished as much as you should. One other note to get to before we get to our random split air driver of the week. Uh, We knew this was coming, but uh, the trailer is out. For the Lionheart, of course, the Dan Weldon documentary, it will debut Tuesday, March 12th, so just a couple days after St. Pete, 9 p.m. Eastern, HBO, uh, also on Max. So I'm very much excited uh, to watch this. I'm sure this will be a phenomenal documentary. Yeah, I can't wait for it and uh, and see what it all entails. I wanted to bring up before we got to the random split era drive of the week is um, it is Formula One. Uh, opening weekend in Bahrain. And, Nobody cares. Let's move on. Well, no, here's the thing. Here's the interesting <laughs> thing. Here's the interesting thing because I use my son as a case study. 
Okay. 14 years, just turned 14 years old. Really not very much into motorsports. Okay. He knows what NASCAR is. He knows what Formula One is. Doesn't really. I always have to explain what IndyCar is because I, I'm watching IndyCar. He thinks it's Formula One, but I was like, no, it's Formula One. But I send him this morning the uh, opening intros for Formula One that came out this morning because they had practice. And he's asking me all these questions about, I thought I thought uh, Lewis was with Ferrari and why does he want to switch from Mercedes to Ferrari? And this is a kid that he doesn't sit and watch races religiously. He doesn't follow it. It's just a casual conversation that Formula One has grasped his attention. And I look at it and say, is this a, a case study for so many other people? For whatever reason is but he's not watching the races well he is what that's the thing but like is that's the next step because he asked me what time's the first race and i said well it's saturday because originally i thought it was sunday but he's got a confirmation retreat so i was asking him like do you want me to wait to watch it he said yeah probably so now is he going to be taking that next step and watch and we can say as much as as boring as at formula one racing is and max dominates and all stuff here's a kid that has gotten more into football and all this stuff, and now he's dabbling into Formula One. He has Formula One Legos. He has Mercedes Legos. He has a Mercedes uh, Lewis Hamilton T-shirt he got for Christmas. And I just, it's it's fascinating to me because I'm like, I don't know what the hook is. I'm not pushing Formula One on him as opposed to IndyCar. But here he is independently finding his way more interested in Formula One than either IndyCar or NASCAR. I can't explain it. I just think it's a fascinating case. Oh, well, it's just because kids think it's cool right now. But it, it'll a, pass. That's all it takes. No, but I think it's all it takes. And that's why in the end, Formula One still has, you mentioned Ferrari, you mentioned Mercedes, you mentioned Aston Martin, you mentioned Red Bull. I mean, people know what those, what those are. And sometimes it's, and this is the thing I think that we don't, we just have to grasp is, is sometimes it's not the racing. Because people say, well, IndyCar's got the best racing and Formula One has the most boring racing. It's not the racing. If it was, IndyCar would have the best ratings. And then it would be NASCAR. And then it would be Formula One. It's not the racing. It's the drama. It's the personalities. It's the technology. It's the manufacturers. It's It's the the marketing. It's the marketing. It's all those things. It's not the racing. Because I kid around with my son. It's like, you know, Max Verstappen is going to win all the races again. Ha ha. But he's still interested in Formula One as opposed to IndyCar. If I told him, hey, Noah, the most the most up for grabs championship is IndyCar. Like, no. It doesn't Mercedes, matter. Is Mercedes in IndyCar? Is, Ferrari, is Lewis Hamilton in IndyCar? There aren't the personalities in IndyCar. Yeah, it's just... And even like the 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 48 seconds or whatever it was of the, the, the inter- driver intros that they released today, like... That is cooler than anything IndyCar is going to put out marketing-wise. Anything. And it's a tradition. And if you watch Formula One, you know it. But it's just, um, it's. I'm going to continue to follow. I'm going to be on this story throughout the season. You know, Maybe he falls off and all that stuff. But, I mean, the kid has a Formula One, a couple Formula One shirts. He wants my McLaren shirt that I wear all the time. He, uh, he has Legos for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. I mean, he's just, and I don't push anything as, this on him. He just finds his way there. And I Again, think we can learn from him. It's it's just because it's a fad right now. It'll pass. He he won't even care about F one in a year or two. Guaranteed. <laughs> but I think over the but over history, Formula One is it. I know right now it's the most popular in America, but it's still like huge deal. Most popular in America among young people. It's still not more popular than NASCAR. True, but 
we we talked about it on this podcast earlier. IndyCar is having very difficult times grasping yes. the younger demographic. Here is somebody at 14 years old that couldn't care less about IndyCar. He's the market that IndyCar should be targeting and getting them into the sport. And here is somebody that I talk and watch more IndyCar than anything else in the house. He couldn't care less. And my, maybe the the overarching thing is IndyCar, you have to figure out how to reach kids like my son. How do you do that? I don't know. Cooler cars, cooler locations for races, and get in front of those people. Yes. Right? I mean, it's not just social media. That's what everyone always goes to, but it's not. It's beyond social media. You got to be forward facing. So that means getting eyes on product, whether it's, you know, unique partnerships with YouTubers, whether I think it's a huge thing because my son's a big YouTube watcher as are most teens. So it's, it's TikTok, it's YouTube. It's, uh, it's Fortnite. Yeah. Because they have crossovers with Lewis Hamilton was the first time he heard of Lewis Hamilton was under Fortnite. Um, so those are the marketing things that, and we hear IndyCar talking about more digital media strategies, right? Which is something they need to do. And they're woefully behind on, but, um, I just, they're making progress. So I will say this, have you noticed the little like team preview like cards like they did like a magazine cover for Andretti earlier this week? Really? It was pretty cool. Uh, it was pretty cool. I thought so, I saw something yeah. like that. I yeah, didn't and know they were... so they're doing these different little like team preview like yeah. little graphics for those things the should different be going teams. On, like, Instagram, hopefully. Yeah. And oh yeah. They, and they stuff are like that. Yeah. I, I'm seeing it on Twitter because that's what I use. Right. But Yeah. They're going on I'm all too the old platforms. for those other ones, Instagram and, <laughs> and TikTok and stuff like that. But. Yeah, I, I feel like when, when we, we, and it was, a, it was a pertinent discussion or pertinent topic because of the story that IndyCar came out with, or Racer.com about the demographics, is here is a perfectly good example. It's not, a, he's not a diehard fan of, of any real sport other than football, but the majority of your fans are casual fans. And here's a, a potential casual fan that uh, even I would say NASCAR is maybe a bigger, presence for him in his in his mind but all it takes is one transcendent driver which indycar has lacked for so long transcendent driver transcendent car design Mm -hmm. transcendent i want to say event but people point to the 500 but new event that's what i'm saying as as that's it, it i think it's a great it's a great point because People will always point to the Indy 500, but it's it's always there. I think to a certain extent, you take it for granted. It's not new. It's not. And flashy. we thought Nashville, you know, downtown was that right. opportunity, and now it's back to the drawing board. But hey, maybe Thermal does something. Who knows? But, Who knows? But uh, it, you know, they need a personality like a Danica Patrick to come back on to capture the attention of everyone beyond even motorsports fans, and that's what yeah. Danica did. Yeah, um, definitely. And and that would help. And I I don't know who that person is. Is is it Miles Rowe in a year or two in IndyCar? Is, is it Jamie Chadwick in I mean, is a it year? Lindsey Brewer? Who knows? Yeah, I I don't I mean, know. Like if one of those three people make it to IndyCar and they have success, I feel like there's a chance. Yeah. And I, yeah, and sometimes you just need you you need a little bit of luck, and I feel like IndyCar has been lacking luck. on the luck department for a bit. So it'll be a story that I stay on. I'll stay on the case. I'll keep pushing IndyCar. But right now, my son is uh, is all in on Formula One. He doesn't know who Christian Horner or Toto Wolf are, but he knows enough to be at least uh, you know follow the series. And, and the thing is, two kids talk, and kids send each other YouTube videos. And so if my son sees something that a Formula One driver is in, and somebody he sends it to a friend, 
And then it's this that uh, that word of mouth type thing that can be everything. So it's um, it's it's a case I'll stay on and I'll update throughout the season. I mean, I mean seriously, by year by week three or race three, he could be totally checked out of Formula One. Who knows? That's what I expect. Yeah, we'll see. You're the only one hyping up F1. I'm excited. I know. Look, I know Max is going to win everything again, and I'll moan and groan about it. But I am excited about Formula One, and maybe it's just excited about racing back in general. That's maybe. really that's all it is. I don't know because you'll I'll be bored be, by the end of the weekend, probably, surely. But um, don't don't waste too much time watching something you already know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm trying we to downplay because look, no one in the audience cares anymore after the Andretti stuff. I mean, you, you, you think? Oh, our audience, yes, yes. Yes. Know your audience, true. man. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> just Contain saying, your I'm excitement. Excited. I am excited for racing to be back. That's uh, fair. And, and open wheel racing, of which Formula One and, and IndyCar, of course. Daytona just wetted your whistle, but did I tune in for a single second of the three wide finish, which is a great finish, by the way. Yeah, Atlanta. no, I didn't watch a single second. Uh, I didn't watch because, a single second. Like I said last week, you expect Atlanta to be bad, and of course it's good now. So it's good, I'm yeah. completely wrong. But uh, if we talk about entertaining moments... I mean, NASCAR had one at Atlanta with a three-wide finish. Uh, can we get some drama with a photo finish? When's the last photo finish we had in IndyCar? 2016, Texas? Been a minute. Been more than a minute. So in terms of finishes over the last couple of years, and I know some people will say, well, it's contrived anyway with overtime and stuff like that. Well, you know, that's a different subject. But NASCAR has had some really good finishes the last couple of years, Atlanta being the most recent. All right, random split air driver right. of the week time. No mailbag this week. Again, too much to way get to. too much to dive into. Too much positivity to talk yes. about. Now we're going to the 2007 IndyCar Series season, and we are going to go with a one and done, at least in that year, Phil Giebler. Hey! hey Indy Phil? 500 Rookie of the Year for yeah. Playa Del Racing. Yes, he was uh, in 2007. He was considered... A top American prospect. He was, when we talk about the long drought in Formula One, he was a dude that was pointed to in his career that say he could be the next American in Formula One. Scott Speed beat him to it. Yes. Um, he did Formula 3000. Uh, he did several years of Indy Lights, actually raced for uh, Playa del Racing in Indy Lights, and then made the jump. He did a couple years of Atlantics, at least in some, some select races, and then did the IndyCar series in 2007 and 2008 with just Indy only. And as you mentioned, was the rookie of the year in 2007. How many rookies were in that race? Because he finished 29th. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, the funny part <laughs> of everything. Was that he was the only rookie? He was... Only two. Milka Duno was the yeah, other one, Yeah, Milka Duno was the other rookie that year. Uh, yeah, so... Jimmy Kite failed to qualify. PJ Jones failed to... Uh, qualify and stefan gregoire uh, was injured in a practice crash Ooh, that's a classic now that's gonna be another random splitter yes. of the week is stefan gregoire but that was it failed to qualify in 2008 that was with an with american dream motorsports do you remember that i don't uh no well no really. i think it was playa del racing it just switched names now correct owners. me if i'm wrong playa del in 2007 so was that no that would have been 2006 that the i think it was a similar team that they both cars took each other out i thought it was just one team it was just yasakawa was in the car in 2006 i think okay so i'm mix i'm mixing up a different 
team, right? You know, Carmelo Anthony was like a team owner. Yeah, yeah. For a hot second, and I can't remember what year that was. That was 2005, 6, or 7. So we're looking at 2006, they had Yasukawa and Jacques Lazier, 16th and 17th. So maybe they did take each other out, but it would have been a lot of attrition in that race. You know what? It was 2006. It was Bucknam and PJ Chesson. Oh, there you go. That right? I remember. What First team were they crash. with? Himmelgarn. Ah, yes, yes. So, But yes, Phil Giebler, Indy 500 Rookie of the Year, only race he participated in, didn't qualify, obviously, for 2008 and... That was it, right? I mean, he, he yeah. had a lot of promise in the junior career, but that was it. That was, I mean, he was as hot shot as it came at that point in the mid-2000s. Formula 3000, he ran the Infinity Pro Series, Toyota Atlantic, he won at Homestead. He was named as one of A1 Grand Prix's Team USA driver. I wanted to tease there, and, and that was kind of the focus on maybe him being uh, a guy that could even connect with Ferrari at some point uh, with Formula One, but uh, didn't work out and was one and done in the Indianapolis 500, didn't qualify in 2008, and that was it. So this week's random split error driver of the week, Mr. Phil Giebler. And with A1GP, I thought this was interesting. Uh, he competed 2005, 2006, and early part of 2006, 2007 before he was replaced by Jonathan Summerton, another uh, guy who... Never made it to IndyCar, but was always one of those, is he going to get a shot in IndyCar yeah. drivers? And he never did. Indy Lights uh, for a couple years, and that was it. Did a lot in, I think, kind of sports cars after the fact. But yeah, yeah. just a what, a, what a list. A yes, veritable who's who, for sure. <laughs> All right, that does it for us. For Justin Keeney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks to Rob Howden. We'll be back next week to preview the 2024 IndyCar season. Who would have thunk it? We made it through the offseason. That's next week on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.